1: Happy guy,
0: then he
1: ate a moldy pumpkin pie. Then he thought that he just couldn't
0: die. So, then he laughed. So, all Hello and welcome again to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-395. Today's show is about endurance, and hopefully it will be available for you folks who are stepping into the Chicago Marathon this weekend. Not that you would need a podcast to listen to at Chicago, I mean, you've got 45,000 other runners to talk to, you probably won't catch Galen Rupp or Mo Farah. You might be able to catch Joan Benoit Samuelson. She's going for the age group record as a 61-year-old, but that's probably doubtful as well. She's still pretty fast. And Amy Craig is out there. She's out there with the elites. Maybe you'll see her. I hear the weather is going to be bad. High winds, maybe some rain. Now, I remember joking after Boston this year that If they had that kind of weather in Chicago, it would be like the apocalypse. So hopefully it won't be too bad. And we'll give everyone something epic to talk about, right? So endurance is the theme today. I talk with Karen, who is a prime example of not giving up. This is the second person this year who I have talked to with one of these incredible stories of... Just endurance, personal endurance and rebirth. It's really wonderful. In section one, I'll give you a primer on Achilles tendonitis. And I made a video for this one as well because the stretches that I will proscribe, prescribe, proscribe, I don't know. They're hard to explain without a visual. And in section two, I will wax poetically about endurance. Since the last time we talked, which was over three weeks ago, my training has run the gamut between horrible and wonderful. Right after our last show, I had to walk away from a long tempo run because I was I was just shot. I was pretty down about walking away from a workout. I don't like giving up on workouts, but I couldn't hold the paces and my form was shot. So I walked away about two hours into a three-hour workout. But since then, I have had a couple of really good workouts. I've been doing a lot of speed work, and my tempo paces have come down. They really, I noticed since the 100-miler, they've come way down to encouraging levels. I've been, been consistently holding paces in the 730s on my long tempo, and that bodes well for the target I have for the upcoming Bay State Marathon. And some of you may have heard that you would have needed to beat your qualifying time by over four minutes this year to get into Boston. As registration closed right around that time, the BAA announced that for the 2020 race, they're lowering all the standards by another five minutes. And for me, that means I now need to run a 335 to make the standard, which is a couple seconds over an eight-minute mile. You may have gotten used to hearing my dog, Buddy, the Border Collie, in the background of these recordings, Buddy, the old Wonder Dog, my old running partner, and I had him into the vet last week for a checkup. He's doing fine. He'll be 15 in December, and with the cooler fall weather, he comes back to life. He gets all agitated and barky. He can't really run anymore. His hips are shot, so he, you know, he can still move pretty well and isn't in any discomfort. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to push him. He's in great shape for his age. But like me, he doesn't really realize how old he is. And living an active life has probably given him an extra couple of years with us to enjoy. When I was going to the vet, I was walking down the sidewalk with him on the leash towards that, you know, the front door, and there was a guy there, and he was unloading an old standard collie, you know, one of the big collies, and he had a ramp that he unfolded, so the old collie could totter down the ramp out of his, out of his van, so this poor old thing could barely move, right, and when he got the collie into the vet's office, he said, don't let him lie down, or we won't be able to get him up again, so I asked the guy, oh, how old's your dog, thinking that this, you know, museum piece of a collie must be really old compared to Buddy, and the answer was 12. So Buddy was two years older (laughs) than this poor old collie, and he's trotting around like he owns a place ready to go. So there you go. Lead an active life, and you'll have a much higher quality of life in these later innings. On with the show.
1: It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength.
0: Dealing with Achilles tendinitis. This post is in response to someone asking me how to deal with a bad case of Achilles tendinitis. I am not a doctor, and you should not take medical advice from me. But I will share with you what I think from my experience as a runner. I also created a video that illustrates most of what I talk about here and shows you the stretches that I use to address these Achilles issues, and that is in the show notes. Or you can just go to my YouTube feed, Russell, and you'll find it there. I have had bad Achilles tendonitis in both of my legs. I have had to stop running for a few months due to having minor tears in both sides as well. And I have been through the doctor loop with these injuries. In fact, the Achilles tendonitis was my first real injury and setback when I started running seriously again. So the first thing you need to ask is, what did you do differently to aggravate the Achilles tendon? Is it a new pair of shoes, an old pair of shoes, a drastic change in workouts or surfaces? So because typically there's some sort of triggering event. If you can figure that out, you maybe you can get some insight into how to alleviate the symptoms. The most common trigger for Achilles problems is just overuse. And this means you stepped up your mileage or your intensity too quickly, or you just increased your mileage intensity to the point where the Achilles became the weakest link in the chain, and it was just the first to go. In new runners, Achilles tendinitis is one of the most common ailments, right up there with runner's knee and IT band issues. It's basically the first thing to complain when you bring your mileage up. Now this Achilles tendon attaches to that big calf muscle right there in the back of your leg and attaches it to the back of your foot. And it's designed to be a flexible cord, like a bungee cord, that stretches every time our foot hits the ground. And in doing so, it takes the shock of your body weight. It stretches and then it releases that power from the legs into forward motion. The Achilles is one of those unique adaptations that makes us humans great runners. You can't run or walk without an Achilles. It's part of the chain of muscles and tendons and fascia that run up the back of your leg. The biggest symptom of this ailment is soreness in the Achilles tendon or in the fascia surrounding the Achilles tendon. If you poke it with your finger, you'll feel the soreness. It tends to be sore in the morning when you first get up and it'll be sore when you first start running. But then it'll feel better as the run progresses and you warm up, only to stiffen up again after you run and when you cool down. As it starts to worsen, if you keep running on it, you may hear a creaking sound when you walk or flex the foot. And this is the fascia catching on the tendon as it moves. So it starts as a sore spot. That's not a real problem. You can run through that and treat it with stretching and therapy. But the next level of progression is when you have tearing in the tendon or the fascia. And when this happens, you will have visible swelling and redness in addition to the soreness. The worse the tear, the worse the swelling will be. If you have any swelling in your Achilles, don't be a dumbass and stop running. If you keep abusing it, eventually scar tissue will form, and that's, that's difficult to rehab. In advanced cases, you will additionally have ossification or bone growth at the attach points, which is also very difficult to rehab. And this is what we mean when we say you have chronic Achilles tendonitis. You kept running on it until it developed scar tissue and bone growth. The problem with the scar tissue and bone tissue is that they are not stretchy as the original tendon is. When you use the Achilles, this hard tissue doesn't stretch. It tears, and you have this worsening cycle of tearing and scarring as each new run sort of opens up the old wound. So how do you treat it? Well, if there's visible swelling and you think there's a tear, you need to stop running until that comes down. Obviously, you can treat that swelling with ice and ibuprofen and etc. like you would any other injury, but that doesn't fix anything. It just brings the swelling down and, and maybe some of the pain. If there isn't swelling or the swelling has come down, you can start to treat the injury. The Achilles tendon doesn't get a lot of blood flow, so I have found active recovery a better solution than just sitting around waiting for it to heal especially if there's some scar tissue in there. So you can ease back into running or keep running, but avoid the speed work and the hill work until it recovers a little bit more. Do your stretching, do your therapy before and after every run, and it will get better as you run. It won't be as sore. So this type of nagging injury requires patience, It may take a few months to get on top of it, and it will never fully go away. You'll always be at risk of it returning, but you'll get you get better at at feeling when it starts to show up, and you get better at treating it. Especially if you bump up your mileage or bump up your speed work. Like I have a little, I can feel it right now because I bumped up my speed work. So, first thing you can do therapy-wise. You can break up that scar tissue by digging in there with your thumbs or a roller or your fingers or any type of tool that you feel comfortable with. And that's what the, the PT guy uh, is going to do if you go to PT. So this, the point of this is it breaks up all the hard bits and it brings blood to the area and helps it heal. And you can stretch the Achilles and the whole chain of muscles and tendons in the back of the leg If you stretch out the system, it'll start to recover. Nice, long, stretchy tendons, they don't tear. I have demonstrated the stretches that I use in a video, which is included here. See the link. Third thing you can do is wear a night splint, and this will keep it from tightening up overnight, and it really helps that morning pain. So as always, I'd be remiss if I didn't comment on running form. These types of injuries can be caused by bad form. So take this opportunity to make sure your mechanics are good. Have a coach look at your stride, look at your form, tell you if you're doing it wrong. And for the Achilles tendon, shoes can be part of the problem. One of the common things is when you change the the heel drop in your in your shoe. I'm not going to get into the barefoot or zero drop argument, but that heel drop directly impacts the length of your Achilles and is something that you can look into on your own. So in summary, this injury is a bitch because you feel fit everywhere else except for this tiny stretch of tissue, and you feel like you should be able to push through it. But the Achilles is a keystone element to everything else, and you need to give it the attention it deserves. Achilles tendonitis is not the end of your running career. You can work through it, but it takes patience and persistence. You got to be smart. And now for today's featured interview. And uh, with any luck with this technology, Karen, we are recording. <laughs> <laughs> so what I uh, usually do is ask folks to give me the 200 words or less on who you are and, and what you do and just give yourself a little introduction.
1: All right. My name is Karen Moore. I'm from perky Pennsylvania, small town. I have a horse farm and teach horseback riding lessons. I'm a four-age leader, which is a farming-type community for children. I drive school bus, and I've been a runner for probably about 20 to 22 years. And it's my passion. I I love it. It's my getaway from life. Everybody thinks I'm crazy because working the farm should be enough, but it's not. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I did landscaping this weekend, and I realized how specific running is as an exercise (laughs) because I'm sore as hell this morning. And you know, I just ran a 100-mile race a couple months ago, and I'm training for a qualifying marathon, which I'm in shape for, but I'm not in landscaping shape.
1: (laughs) I get it. We have um, a lot of friends and my family has a lot of runners in it and they don't ride horses anymore and they'll come for the weekend and they'll ride and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I couldn't walk for days. And they think they're in such good shape, but it's, it's very different. No matter what muscles you think you might need a little work on, the ho- riding horse will show you some other ones. <laughs>
0: Yep. So I found you in the Boston Marathon Training Group on Facebook that I browse through every once in a while to see how people are doing. The Boston Marathon has this sort of irrationally passionate following that is kind of fun to uh, associate with. So I saw your story in there. And I'm just going to read, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read what you uh, wrote just to give us some context to our conversation here. And you can criticize my dramatic reading if you want. (laughs) So, so you posted last week that everyone has a story and I've been a runner most of my adult life, have done marathons all through the years. Two and a half years ago, while out on my run, I got hit by a hit and run driver and I was found alongside the road by an amazing man. I was unconscious, major head trauma, leg broken in three places, multiple cuts, bruises and after a very long eight months, I started walking to get strong and soon I was doing a limp-like shuffle jog. It was ugly, but it was a start. And my daughter always wanted to run a marathon with me. I was not going to let this person who hit me take this from us. Lots of stubborn runners' strength kept me going. Never would have guessed it, but two years after, I ran a marathon with my daughter and almost qualified. Two months later in Philly, I did it. What the power of love can do. Cannot believe it's real. Scared, proud. My daughter will be my cheerleader. Her goal is to qualify this year in Philly. Someone wake me feeling blessed. So that's uh, quite the short story there.
1: Yep, that's it.
0: So you were a runner before you had this interaction with the hit and run driver.
1: Yes. Yeah, I had run for a good 20 some years. And I'm always morning runner since I'm a school bus driver, I have to run before my work starts. And I'm always lit up like a Christmas tree and people kind of in my neighborhood know me and and smile, wave, you know, there's crazy Karen. And it's just what I've done for 20 some years in our neighborhood. But this one particular morning, a person that knew me and uh, wasn't paying attention, he was a newspaper delivery person, hit me and then was scared. So he left the scene of the crime. And I was unconscious until I... They they don't know exactly how long until I was found by the gentleman. So I don't remember too much of it, but just things people tell me.
0: (laughs) So when did you wake up?
1: I think I believed waking up in the ambulance. Okay. I remember little parts of that. And I want to put a shout out to Road ID. If it wasn't for Road ID, they would have never known to contact my husband. So he met us at the hospital because of Road ID. And um, he was at the hospital. And I remember pretty much from that point everything pretty good but you know, like I said the ambulance ride was a little foggy I remember some things but not too much I fought for months and months trying to figure it all out and that doesn't help the head injury it makes it worse so I had to just let it go
0: yeah so what did the doctors say after they got you patched up and conscious again what did they say to you
1: well of course what every runner never wants to hear is that you know, you probably shouldn't have been doing that at that hour. And you probably are not going to be doing that again. And I knew right then that they were whistling Dixie. I was going to be doing that again, even then. And everybody kind of didn't like that idea. My husband, it scared him because I, it could have been worse. But with as many, I guess, I was in the hospital for a a week and a half and then got home and was no weight bearing for a few months on my leg and because I couldn't hold myself up because I had injuries to my shoulders back and stuff so I it wasn't so much that I wasn't allowed to walk I just was unable to support myself yeah and just started physical therapy and in my head like I said I knew I was gonna run again so that was my goal and off through therapy they kept kidding around that you know man you're stubborn you would think you would want to run again I didn't say anything because I didn't want to set myself up for a disappointment so I put in my head I knew and then like I said it was about eight months and then I just would we have a long dirt gravel road and it's about a mile long and it was my goal to get to the end of it walk to the end of it and back and I did that I was out of work for about a year because after a head trauma you can't drive school bus so I started doing that mile and then I started kind of, I called it the Quasimodo run and I never did it when car was coming because I knew it looked ridiculous, but every time nobody was around, I'd do it and then it, I got used to it and I let cars see me and they would usually stop and be like, what are you doing? And then I just said, it just feels good to, to think that I can do it. So I'm trying to think when I actually had a stride that maybe resembled a a jog, not even a run. But it was about a year or so. All throughout the whole process, the gentleman who found me was in contact with me. And he was the only one that knew my secret that I was going to get out and get running again. Because he would pass me every morning. He knew to look and wait for me. So he kept saying, I can't wait to see you out there. I can't wait to see you out there. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was uh, probably about... A year and four months and I ran like three to four miles, but it was at the time frame. So I went out and was able to wave to him and that was the best feeling in the world. And it just kept going from there. And yeah, I did a, a one or two 5Ks and I was pretty amazed. Like, wow, my times aren't that different than what they were. And then probably not quite. Two years after the accident, I did a half and my time was better. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty weird (laughs) because I didn't think I was ever going to be even comparable. And I was fine with that. I just wanted to run. And then I ran the Via in Allentown Marathon and Mm -hmm. I came in at 4.01. And 4.01 was a little better than my best ever marathon. And I thought, well, that's crazy. And my daughter, she's like, you know, you were a minute from qualifying. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I I never even would want to qualify for Boston. I just wanted to run this again and with you. And well, I don't know what got into me in Philly. I decided, well, I, I'm going to go ahead and give it a try. And so from Philly, I pushed it to the max and I made it with a 15 minute cushion and she ran and she, she missed it by five minutes. So she's going to try again this year. And I, I, I kid with her all the time that you're killing me because that means I got to try again and do this again. <laughs>
0: So what was the sort of the emotional arc of this as you're looking at it? Because we all see people, you and I online, where they'll go, oh, I pulled a hamstring. I'm not going to be able to run my race next Saturday. It's the end of the world. I'll never run again. You're looking at it as a three-year project to get back to running again, right? I mean, oh, yeah. How do you hang in there that long in the oh, was, of that so, kind of adversity?
1: So, so hard. Many, Many tears. Many bouts of depression and and frustration, not just over what I couldn't do that I wanted to do, but just how could this have happened to me and, you know, the pity party that you want to put yourself in. And all throughout it, we were going through the court hearings of the man who hit me. So it just kept coming back, even though I wanted it to go away. And I guess in all of it, that gave me the strength, though, as I sat there and looked at this person who really didn't... His whole he kept saying that he didn't hit a person. He didn't hit a person. He hit a deer. And when they compensated the car, it's amazing the damage that a body can do to a car. And I kept looking at that and thinking, if I could survive that, because I damaged his whole front quarter, his driver's side door, and my head went through his driver's side window. My blood was all in his car, so there was no way that he was getting out of it. But I just kept telling myself, if I could survive that, then I can do this. And, but you have many a days where you're out running and everything hurts so bad and you just think, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. But the fact of of letting somebody take what you want and what your dreams and your happy place in life, only person that's going to take that is me or my family maybe, but not somebody that doesn't care about me. It just gave me the fight to say, I'm going to run. And then, like I said, I never even guessed that I was running better than I used to run, but I guess that was just part of the whole fight. Yeah. And I just recently met with the state troopers who we were part of the whole team of, of catching the guy and helping me and, and uh, let them know that I qualified. And it was an ama- amazing emotional thing because they just thought it was great that I wasn't going to let that change me. I'm going to continue to do what I want and love. And so, yeah, it was really cool.
0: So did this guy just drift off the road? Did he clip you from behind?
1: He actually, he was traveling on the other side of the road. He crossed the yellow line and he hit me from the front. Wow. And, yeah.
0: And you didn't um, see it, didn't see it soon enough to jump out of the way or just
1: actually, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm not thinking I'm sorry. He did hit me from the height. I was I was on the far side of the the left side of the road. And he yeah. was traveling on that. And he crossed over the yellow line. Okay. and that's, Yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking. So
0: you were running into traffic, but he crossed the line and hit you anyhow.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, There's nothing you can do about that.
1: No, no. And and that's, I am lit up. I have, you know, one of those full LED vests and I have, you know, blinkers. I have everything because everybody that knows me, you know, came to the court and said, we laughed about she looks like the Christmas tree running down the road. And um, it took many of court hearings to him to honestly say, he goes, honestly, he said, I wasn't even looking. I was looking down at the papers. And it's not that I, he just wasn't looking at all. And then he, you know, was afraid to know what he did and so he just ran.
0: Yep. A lot of the roads where you are in Pennsylvania are pretty tight. There's not much shoulder, so it's hard running out there sometimes. So yeah. as you were going through this long process, right, you had all these challenges, you had the naysayers, you had people had your body and people telling you what you could and couldn't do. What were the enablers? Who were the people or what were the events that enabled you to keep persevering?
1: Uh, I would say my biggest was my daughter because at this point she was first year at Penn and so I knew and she had run all in high school and she had run in college never distance she was always more mid distance and speed but she always wanted to do it and I just I thought well this will be her year because she's living in Philly and not in Virginia where we you know can't get together and so that was the big thing and um We would just say, let's just give it a try and and give it a go. She was really kind of doing it more just to help me and I was helping her train. So I would say she was my biggest. My my husband was awesome letting me do it, but I know it scared him to death. it still does. It, I know it's very hard for him, but the biggest is just my own stubbornness and then and, and my daughter. And I just think passed down through all my kids is, is this goofy sport of running. I don't want to give that up.
0: No, it sounds like it's part of your life and you're going to keep it that way. So yeah. when you first started running in sort of this uh, weird limping motion, what was the transition to get back to an actual running form if you're qualifying for bus and you've got a decent form now, so do you have to do a lot of work to sort of work the kinks out or do you still run with a little bit of a limp? And is there any hangover? Do you have any weird joint pains or things uh, yeah. that you know are from the accident?
1: Yeah, I pretty much think my stride looks like it used to str- uh, look. I think just how much I had to do physical therapy and stuff like that, I think I just got stronger without realizing that's how I increased my time. It wasn't something I even knew was doing, and honestly, if somebody would have asked me if I ever would have thought I would run Boston, I never would have thought it. My brother-in-law was a qualifier for many years, and I always thought, "Wow, that's so cool." Never, never. It just never even crossed my mind because I was not that runner. I love to do the marathons but I was not fast and knew it would never age helped me a little I gotta be honest with that Um, (laughs) um, but yeah no I definitely my leg that was broken it swells up after every long run and I gotta ice it extra I have pretty good bumps and and whatever where the brakes were my forehead I have a patch of on my forehead that I don't have hair there anymore I look like I have a little receding hairline that will always be a memory of it. it. And then, you know, I have scars that my shoulder and my back that will never, hopefully someday will go away, but not, not yet. But I, again, I look at it like they're just my memory to what I've been through. They're part of my character, I guess. I definitely uh, feel my long runs a lot more than I used to. But in the same sense, like I kind of don't mind the pain because I'm out there, I'm doing it. I kind of chuckle and say, bring it on. It's a long run weekends, because I know it's going to hurt, but it's going to be so rewarding.
0: Yeah, it's a mindset thing, right? You see that as strength. That's great. Yeah. What do you think you've learned from all this?
1: Oh, my gosh. I've learned so much. (laughs) I've learned so much. I think the biggest thing is you can't do it alone. I mean, I never gave credit to every angle of something like this. I mean, from the police, the investigators, the people that prosecute, the physical therapists, the ER, I remember just kind of being so foggy in the ER and and some of the people that just, they said such simple things, but it meant so much. Just little things like that just never take for granted. Everybody out there doing their job is going to make a difference and you don't realize it, but every little thing, And I, I just take so much more in than I used to take for granted because it can quickly change. I realize that.
0: So what? I don't know if I
1: answered the question quite right.
0: (laughs) No, no, that's that's fine. So what else has this opened up for you? What have you realized? like going through this that you didn't think you could do before or didn't know before?
1: Well, I'm not sure it's really a good thing, but I've been doing some motivational speaking with our four age group because honestly, I think a lot of what I grew up with, my horses and all that, that helped a lot because when you're dealing with a thousand pound animal, it doesn't always go your way. And sometimes you got to fight really hard. (laughs) And so I just do a lot of speaking to different groups that are dealing with, animals and and stuff like that and and just say even though, even though you you know you know you can do it whatever sometimes it takes a little bit more than knowing you can do it putting that extra and sometimes it's failure and and you're gonna have to fail a lot of times until you succeed and you're gonna get banged up and bruised up and whatever but in the long run it's gonna be worth it so that I think is the biggest hopefully I'm helping some kids that Maybe need that little extra push.
0: Right. Yeah. Teaching them how to uh, persevere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so easy to say, ah, running's not for me or, or fighting this horse or, or whatever is not for me or, but. If, it, if, it, if it's in you, it, it is there.
0: Yeah. it's um, Like I said, you have to think in a different time frame. You have to think in a longer time frame for a lot of these things where it's not a week, it's not a month, it's years, right? It's a whole lifetime that you're trying to um, accomplish with this perseverance, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. And like I said, I didn't ever think I would ever qualify for Boston when I did. I thought, well, it's just nice to know I did. And then I thought, I'm just silly. Even if I just go and I'm the last runner in because I'm slow. I got to take it in because it's all that I went through that got me here. So I'm doing it.
0: <laughs> so you're coming up to bus in
1: 2019? Yep. Yep. All right. Yep. I can't wait. I'm scared to death, but I'm doing it.
0: <laughs> oh, you'll have a blast.
1: I Yeah. I, I keep thinking, huh? I really am crazy, but I just want to take it in. And I just want to know that I did it.
0: <laughs> yep, you'll love it and uh you know there's it's good good people up here, great fans. The course is uh is a storied course with a lot of stories on it, right? And it's a oh. lot of a lot of a lot of great stories on this course and you'll be one more.
1: Oh, I just can't wait. I can't wait to soak in the, every bit of it. I Everybody I tell, I said, don't look for any special time because I'm going to soak in every minute. I'm not going to run fast and miss anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you never know at Boston, right? It's uh, well, it's always a, a crazy, uh, you never know what you're going to get weather-wise. So
1: Yeah. I, I remember that year after year with my brother-in-law thinking, is it ever nice at Boston? <laughs>
0: I don't know. It was fun last year.
1: Oh, gosh, it didn't seem fun. I remember every year you think it and you think, oh, I can't believe they're running today.
0: Yeah, it was epic. So, all right, I'll let you go. I'll move you towards the exit here. Thank you for sharing. I think this is a great example for folks, again, to to push through and to stay on track and it'll turn out well in the end, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. Congratulations.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time and your efforts.
0: All right. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know.
0: Endurance. Endurance is different from grit or perseverance. Endurance is the ability to keep pushing in the face of discomfort, but also in the face of an unreasonable future. Endurance is the ability to put up with pain and discomfort, but also irresolution, with no real offer of succor or success. To endure is to keep on keeping on, to trudge onward, for no other reason than you believe in the ethos of endurance. Endurance. The endurance is the purpose. The end result, the resolution is merely an outcome. The goal achievement is merely a symptom of the endurance. To endure is to set aside reason. Endurance is irrational. Why keep doing something that has no predictable outcome? Why drop your shoulder into the push of a lost cause? Because there is purity in the lost cause. It is not a lost cause. It is a cause. And the end result, whether that be win or lose, does not diminish the worthiness. There is honesty in endurance. The act of doing When the rest of the world tells you there is no hope, because there is always hope, hope is in the dropped shoulder to the wheel. Hope is in the single footstep. There is a story of the Athenian general who beat the Spartans, and he asked of his men only one thing. That one thing was, when he asked for it, they would give him one step forward, nothing else. And in the peak of the battle, when the shields were locked, when the result hung in the balance, he had the horns blow and asked his men for one step forward. And at the crucial moment, this broke the Spartan line. And in a moment, the battle was won, with just one more step. And you might say endurance is a fool's game, because the longer you endure, the weaker you get. Why not turn away from the endurance? Why waste your strength? But those of us who live the endurance ethos know that the opposite is true. The longer you endure, the more strength comes to you. Spiritual strength, the strength of the ethos of endurance. The strength of endurance is multiplied in groups. If you endure as a group, the entire group, the bonds of the group, the ethos of the group become stronger. Shared endurance builds bonds that are deeper. Endurance is empowering for both the individual and the group. Another story. Ulysses Grant, after bloody years of defeat, was able to turn that around and defeat Lee's Army of Virginia. And what was different about U.S. Grant. Well, he knew he had the numbers and the supplies. He just kept bashing against Lee's lines. Not in a suicidal way, but in an endurance way. And as his army endured, it strengthened. The very thing that should have weakened the army made it stronger. The veterans walking into the entrenched enemy over and over again with no end in sight But with each assault, they became stronger. They drew strength from the adversity. They drew strength from the endurance. Endurance is irrational. Endurance is the wellspring of its own strength. Working in a startup breeds endurance. The highs are high. The lows are low. The emotions swing between the highest high and the lowest low. It's irrational. The winners... Are able to draw strength from the challenge, to not see the lows and the highs, but to endure, to endure the process, to wake up each day and do the things that need to be done today. The ethos of endurance, because if not endurance, then what? Resignation, ease, a small death. And then there are endurance athletes. Look at any training schedule. How do you qualify for Boston? How do you run 100 miles? How do you do anything? You wake up each day and do those things that will bear fruit in two months or three months or three years. But you don't think of those things. You only think of today. You endure. You take one step. You get knocked down. You get up. You take another. There is no guaranteed future. There's only today and the work. Endurance is irrational. The Irish Catholics from which I am bred are great believers in suffering and the value of endurance, but suffering in itself for no purpose is not worthy. Purposeless suffering is self-indulgent. But the interesting thing is that as you lean into endurance, it breeds its own purpose. Endurance becomes purpose. Endurance becomes noble because of that purpose. Endurance is more than suffering. It is active suffering. And in its activeness, it becomes noble. Endurance moves you all the way to your edge. It moves you to that place where you have nothing, where you are nothing. It can be seen as almost being on the edge of death. And then pulling back to find yourself changed against all the odds. The naysayers will tell you, you've suffered enough. Then you rise up and prove them wrong. You suffer forward in your endurance. Suffer forward, irrationally, building strength, building purpose, enduring into the core nobility of the endurance ethos. To see that distant light, to crawl and pull towards it, to scrabble from the depths of the cave of inhumanity with demons clutching at you from all sides, the loose stone and the mud, the grasping for purpose, to burst forth into the daylight with the stink of endurance, to go to that point where there is just one more step, one more battle, one more breath, the horizon of life. Muted to the very instance of action. One more step. One more call. One more run into this day, this hour, this minute. Endurance. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. So you know what I'm going to say, right? Yep. That's it. You have endured another episode of the Run, Run, Live podcast. That was number 4 395. Episode 4-395 of the Run Run Live podcast. I am in my taper for base date. It's on the 21st. I seem to have gotten enough speed back. I'm confident that I have an opportunity to beat that new 335 standard. We'll see. All you can do is put yourself in the position to race. You get to the starting line and the universe takes care of the rest, right? So I have a tip for you. When I first started running seriously, I used to rely on a lot of sports drinks, a lot of sugar. I used to power my runs with Gatorade and power bars. But over the years, I've come to find it easier and healthier to condition my body to run off its own fat stores with minimal intervention. And I still use fuel in races, but only enough to uh, keep the fire lit, so to speak. But regardless of the fueling product you're using, what I have found is that the recommended dosage from the manufacturers is always too strong. I mean, at least for me. And this goes all the way back to when I ran on Gatorade. Full strength Gatorade gave me stomach issues. I would always cut it. So my tip for you is to practice cutting whatever you're using by half, whatever it is. If it says a scoop per bottle, just put in a half a scoop. And this way it won't impact your stomach. And believe it or not, you'll get used to it. You can meter your intake just as well with a lighter dose. So that's my tip for you. So speaking of buddy's visit to the vet, I myself went to get a checkup this week. I try to get in every year for a physical because I'm in that age group to get some of those top 10 nasty diseases like prostate cancer and colon cancer. You know, it's just good practice. And I hadn't been in for a couple years because of different urgencies in my life, so I figured I should. So no surprise, I am boringly healthy. My blood pressure is excellent, my prostate is lovely, it's all good. So I joke to my doctor that I am an exceedingly uninteresting patient, and he tells me that I make his job easy. Did you know? Of course, you know that 75 to 80% of all medical issues, 75 to 80% are lifestyle related. That's it. And the top three lifestyle contributing factors are, of course, diet, exercise, and smoking. Pretty simple. It's a game where you know the rules and have an 80% chance of winning. So what are you going to do with all that extra quality of life now that you know the secret? Shall we find out together? I'll see you out there. And then he thought
1: that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.
0: Here comes the dog as soon as I start talking. Mr Curious Clickety 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 jingle. <clears throat> Should I keep going? I don't know. Let's see do I have any coffee? My throat's kinda icky. <clears> throat> we'll give it a good. No, this isn't gonna work. I gotta put him out.